Luke chapter 4 uh, is where we're going to be today. If you can open your Bibles up to that part. There'll be several other passages we'll be jumping around to, but if you just kind of focus on Luke 4, that'd be great. And then I'll reference other passages. And uh, don't worry about get going there. You can just follow along on the screen behind me. Either way, uh, whether or not you have your Bible with you, um, follow along on the scripture. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 1 in just a few moments. So we started a new series, as Pam mentioned, uh, last week called Meeting Jesus. And the theme of this series, we're looking at different passages of scripture where Jesus has an encounter with somebody. He has a, his life uh, crosses paths with regular everyday people like us. And there's all these stories associated with these, these interactions that Jesus has. And the, the goal of the series really is to look at the life of Christ, study the life of Christ between now and Easter Sunday and look at all these kind of key events through, through the lens of these encounters that these people had with him. And we want to learn from this about the difference Jesus makes in people's lives. You know, Jesus, he, he just meets somebody and changes their life in these moments. We, we want to be good at introducing other people to Jesus as well, as we want to be people that help facilitate other people meeting Jesus. And so we have lessons to learn from this passage uh, or from these stories as well. And I do want to give that intro to also say then that we're going to depart from our theme just a little bit, because most weeks of the series, we're talking about people meeting Jesus. Today, we're talking about um, not necessarily a person meeting Jesus, but this encounter that Jesus has in the wilderness, Jesus versus Satan. This is more of a showdown. This is more of a battle. This is not um, Jesus ministering to a person and changing their life. This is Jesus encountering an old enemy um, in the wilderness, Satan versus Jesus in the wilderness. And there's a lot we have to learn from this passage about the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in and how to face that battle in a victorious way. How can we face our challenges? How can we face our temptations? Jesus being our model for us, but also the one that empowers us to face temptation, to face spiritual battles. So Luke chapter four, we're gonna read verses one through, I'm actually gonna go to verse 14. Uh, verse, it'll only go to verse 13 on the screen, so just a heads up. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And I'll read on just two more verses, actually, 14 and 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in all their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
So we see in this passage, this is the story of the temptation of Jesus. He's in the wilderness. He's in the Judean wilderness, which would have looked a lot like Arizona or maybe areas around Moses Lake or something like that, right? Just kind of an arid looking place without a lot of resources. And it's a wilderness experience that Jesus goes through, um, leaving from this high moment, scripture says, about this, this baptism, right? Immediately after the baptism, which is what we studied last week, where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. He comes out of the water. The spirit descends like a dove. There's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then right after that, they, he is taken out to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he fasts for 40 days. And the scripture describes what's going on in, in Jesus' life, specifically when it relates to the Holy Spirit, right? The third member of the Trinity. He is full of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of this passage. And then verse 14 mentions that he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. So full of the Holy Spirit, in undergoes temptation, and then returns to begin his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are three temptations that are offered by Satan in this passage to Jesus. He says, um, in perhaps what is the best understatement in the scripture, uh, after 40 days of not eating, um, he was hungry. Really? Is he hungry? I would say so. You know, this is about the limits, right, of, of a regular person being able to go without food for that length of time before you're starting to get to that starvation point. Like survival is not going to continue if you don't eat at some point later on um, or, or very soon, right? And there, the, the record, by the way, of fasting, been uh, learning about fasting lately, uh, is 365 days or 68 days or something like that. There was a very large man who wanted to lose a lot of weight and he just did not eat anything and his body survived off of his fat stores and he, was, he got down to like 180 pounds from something like 400 pounds over a period of time under medical supervision. This is not a diet plan I'm recommending to anybody, by the way. But, but people can survive, right? That's how the, God designed our bodies to store energy so that if we had to go without food for a little while, we could do it. But 40 days for someone, you know, Jesus in this, in this time period, this is about the limit. You're reaching the limit here. And the first temptation is, has to do with Jesus' appetite. You are hungry. That is a perfectly normal need that God designed you with. Satan says, hey, Jesus, I have an idea. How about you just turn these stones into bread? These are stones. You can make them bread. Jesus, we know from the story that Pam was just talking about, Jesus has some power over things like that. Turn them into bread, and then you can eat the stones. And he says... It's written, man shall not live by bread alone. That's Jesus' response. Then Satan takes him up and shows him the kingdoms of the world, right? In this moment of time, says, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. It's been delivered to me, and I can give it to whoever I want. Which, that's an interesting insight, isn't it? About just the way the world works, and the kingdoms, and the powers, and all these different things, that Satan has this level of authority over such things. He says, I can give it to you, but here's the deal. Like, you just have to worship me. And then I will give you all of this authority, all of this power. This is the temptation Satan offers. This has to do with ambition. This has to do with, hey, you can be the most powerful person in the world in this moment in time. The final temptation is this idea about just the, you know, and then oh, let's say how Jesus resists that. He responds once again, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to fall into this temptation. 
Then he goes to Jerusalem, top of the temple, and he says, I want you to, I want you to do like a, a, an experiment, like a trust fall. Jesus, I want you to do a trust fall off of the temple. You do a trust fall and you'll be trusting in God. And then this time Satan does something sneaky, right? He goes, well, you're always quoting the Bible, so let me quote the Bible back to you. It is written, Satan says, the same words Jesus used. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So what I want you to do is just trust fall off the top of the temple and trust that God will send his angels to just catch you before you hit the ground. The temple, there's tons of people at the temple. Everyone's going to see this and they're going to go, wow, you're amazing. And they're going to worship you and they're going to want to follow you. You're going to have this fame, instant fame in this one moment of hurling yourself off the temple. Jesus responds, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's all the devil has. The devil has to depart at this point. And scripture tells us in a parallel passage that angels came and ministered to Jesus um, in, this, in this moment. He's resisted this temptation. And the temptation, like a lot of these things, these don't seem to be wrong things that Satan's asking him to do. The problem is they're, they're not God's way. They're not the Father's way. Jesus, over and over again in his ministry, he's like, whatever the Father wants me to do, that is what I'm going to do. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, but he's placing himself in subjection to the Father. What the Father wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care what Satan wants me to do. Satan may be telling me to do something good, but it's the done, something good but done in the wrong way, that's wrong. There, there's this temptation that... Um, Every, we, we all experience temptation. Everyone experiences temptation. There's no, um, no one that doesn't experience temptation. And I, the temptation here is to take the easy way versus the hard way, right? And temptation, what it is, let's define it. It's an invitation to sin. Temptation is not sin, but it's an invitation to sin. It's an invitation to leave behind like our highest values and beliefs that we, as followers of Christ, we say we want to listen to Jesus, we want to follow him. What God wants us to do is what we want to do. And then temptations come our way, and those temptations call us away from that. They don't obey those values, don't hold up those high ideals, right? Immediate satisfaction at the expense of our higher desires. And Jesus in this moment, I want you to be... Pay careful attention to how vulnerable he is. 40 days of fasting. He's in the wilderness. He's tempted by the enemy. And there, there's this, in the recovery kind of world, there's this, there's an acronym that talks about when we are particularly vulnerable to struggles or like relapsing, or I would say this has application beyond uh, recovery specifically, but areas where you are particularly vulnerable, there's an acronym called HALT, H-A-L-T. Halt. One is hungry. That you're vulnerable when you're when you're hungry. Your your willpower is not as high as maybe it would be. If you're angry, you're vulnerable. If you're lonely, you're vulnerable. If you're tired, you're vulnerable. So halt is this acronym that people learn that talks about just the vulnerabilities that we have. That if you're in one of these or more of these, uh, more than one of these, you're particularly vulner vulnerable to temptation. And Jesus checks like three of those boxes, right? He is hungry. Maybe he's feeling lonely out there in the wilderness, 40 days by himself, away from community, away from his family. Almost certainly feeling tired, right? He, he is in this situation where he is vulnerable. Satan seizes upon this moment to attack him. Maybe I can take him down. Satan knows something big is coming. 
And he, he knows that, the, that Jesus is here, and he's trying to take him out. And there's a, an encouraging piece about the fact that Jesus is tempted, that Jesus undergoes temptation. For every one of us in this room, this should be encouraging, because we often think that temptation itself, we, we can have a, like an overly sensitive conscience, where we go, if I'm feeling temptation, that's bad. Like, I, if I'm experiencing temptation, I'm a bad person. If I was a better person, I wouldn't be tempted at all. But Jesus is the best person to ever live, right? He's the one who did this perfectly. And Jesus, without sin, is tempted in this moment by Satan. And I think this is important for us for a number of reasons. But one is that it, he, I, he's identifying with us. He's showing that he can relate to us. But this idea of feeling you know, guilty for even being tempted, the temptation is an invitation to sin. It is not sin itself. Temptation doesn't appear because you are sinful. Temptation appears because you're human. Right? Temptation is not sin. Jesus was not without temptation, but he was without sin. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, speaking of Jesus, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus experienced the full range of temptations that humans experience. Tempted in every way like we are. He's our high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. He faced the same temptations, but he did this without sin. Jesus had the temptation to be fearful, to, to, to hear about world events and, and be afraid and let that be kind of his general approach to life as one of fear instead of one of courage. Jesus faced the temptation to pride, even in this moment here. Go, go up there and all the kingdoms of the world, you know, will be bowing down before you in this temptation, right? He, he faced the temptation probably to numb how he felt by overindulging in something, right? Food or alcohol or something, right? That, that was a temptation that Jesus could relate to. The temptation to be lazy when he had important work to do. One, I don't, I, I, this, is, this one seems weird to me, but if Jesus has been tempted in every way like we are, then he faced sexual temptation, right? Jesus faced uh, the, the, those temptations as well and faced them victoriously. So I want to talk about the, the reason why, we, why this is such a big deal when we are, to recognize that temptation itself is not sin, it's an invitation to sin, is because when you go through a, a trial or a difficulty or a temptation, there's the trouble of the actual thing you're going through, but there's also the question around it. Like, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this troubling time? Why am I being tempted in this way? Am I, am I a bad person? Is that what's going on? Right? Jesus, the best person to ever live, experienced a really rough life. Right? Jesus talking to people around him says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Right? Bad things can happen to good people. We, we think sometimes that if life is difficult, it's because you're a bad person. Like, think about Job's friends, right? Job goes through all this incredible loss in the, in the book of Job. Loses his family, loses his health, loses his wealth, all of these things. And his friends come around him, and, and after starting out great, right? They spend some time with him, they're comforting him, they're mourning with him. But then they start to talk to him, and that's where things go south, in their case. They start to say, they ask him these questions like, hey, you must have some hidden sin, Job. Maybe that's why these things are happening to you. If bad things happen to bad people, Job, this is what's going on here. But Job was a righteous person, Scripture tells us. 
And these things were still happening to him. We live in a fallen, broken world where we experience the, the outcome or the, the, just the negative breakdown of this world. And, and temptation is one example of that, right? That we, we are tempted to sin on this side of eternity. But Jesus, said, Jesus did not actually promise a trouble-free existence in this life, temptations and other troubles. John 16, he says, I have said these things to you, speaking to his disciples, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This, I talk about this passage sometimes as one of the most discouraging promises from Jesus. Like, thanks, Jesus. Uh, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But it starts off really encouraging. He says it's, it's like an encouragement sandwich, right? There's encouragement on both sides, and then there's discouragement in the middle. He goes, the encouraging part at the beginning, I say these things to you, speaking to his disciples, that you may have peace. That's encouraging. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Life will not be smooth sailing on this side of, of eternity. In the world, while we, were, we are here, we will have troubles, temptations, and other things. Bad things sometimes do happen to good people, right? He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus at the beginning says, I don't want you to be fearful and discouraged all the time. I'm, I'm giving you a heads up so that in me you may have peace. You will have trouble in this world. Life is a struggle. Life is a battle. We, that is our experience. But he says, but take heart. Like, be courageous. I have overcome the world. Jesus faced temptations. Jesus faced the troubles of this world. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Why should that give us courage? Knowing that Jesus has faced the troubles in this world. Because not, I mean, if Jesus faced it, right? He's the son of God. That's, that's true. We are not Jesus. But Jesus is in us. And we are in Jesus. And the one who faced this world and triumphed lives in us and wants, us, wants to live through us. There is a life in our future with no struggle, no pain, no temptation. But it's the next life. It's not this life. It's, it's the one to come. And on this side, we are in a battle. So I want to say to you that temptation is not sin. It is the call to battle. Temptation is not sin. It is the call to battle. I find it fascinating, the timing of this temptation. It gives us some real insight into the way our enemy works. Jesus goes from this peak spiritual experience. He's at the Jordan River. He's surrounded by people. He is baptized in the water. He comes out of the water. The heavens open. He hears a voice from heaven. It's his father. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And he goes, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and he goes from this peak spiritual experience into a battle. And that's the way our spiritual life often works. We go from moments like these, these mountaintop experiences into wilderness experiences. And I'm saying that this morning because I don't want you to be surprised when you take a step towards God if you feel all of a sudden all kinds of opposition against you. You feel like everything's going wrong in your life after you take some kind of step towards God. You're like, I am going to start reading my Bible every day. I'm going to start seeking God in prayer. I'm going to do these practices. This is important. This is going to help me grow. Do not be surprised if the very next experience you feel is all kinds of resistance against you. 
Hypothetical example. Let's say there was someone in this church who decided they were going to devote themselves to prayer in an especially intense way for the month of February. That there were going to be certain things they were going to bring before God. It's that, you know, February started this last week. And so for the month of February, they were going to seek God uh, with intensity about certain prayer requests. Bring these things before God and pray in a more devoted way than they normally do. Hypothetically, right? And let's say that uh, then the very next experience they had after this moment of just kind of feeling affirmation from God is that all of the demons in charge of home plumbing uh, were released into their home, right? And there's leaks coming from things and stuff. Uh, Maybe you're picking up on the fact that it's not hypothetical, but my experience this last week that I had certain things I was wanting to devote to prayer. I'm like, these are things, I'm going to make February a month of just spiritual devotion. I'm going to spend some time praying about certain things, burdens on my heart, that I'm going to bring these things before God in a more intense way and, and, and present these to him. And then, man, all kinds of leaks under my kitchen sink, right? I mean, it's just like, this is, this is my life. And I, it bothered me for a little bit. And then I'm like, no, this, of course I'm going to experience opposition because God's calling me into something. And this is, this is what happens, right? Jesus, in the parable of the sower, he gives this parable about spreading the word of God and represented in seed form, right? He's throwing out the seed out on all this different types of ground and then the resulting growth that happens from the message being spread out. And there's the the seed that falls on the thorny ground, right? This represents the people who were glad to hear the message, Jesus says, when he's explaining it to his disciples. He said, they believe it for a while, But when difficulty comes because of the message, they stop believing. They fall away. The spiritual battle that we face is real. If God has called you into a closer relationship with him, expect to be a target. Expect the enemy to come after you. Expect to face temptation maybe more than normal. Right? The spiritual battle is real. Satan, our enemy, the same enemy that faced Jesus, hates us. He wants to destroy anything good in our lives. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan is a defeated foe after the cross, but he's not under his judgment yet. He hasn't been decisively dealt with once and for all. One day, Jesus will, and we await that day. But in the meantime, Satan goes about like this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This defeated foe trying to take down as many as he can before he's judged. And his main tactic, by the way, is deception. Tries to trick you. Tries to deceive you. Jesus, in this temptation, Satan goes, if you really are the son of God. He says this twice to him during the temptation. If you're really the son of God... Say to the stones, it'll become bread. Or if you're really the son of God, you can throw yourself off the temple and then God will catch you. Trust fall, right? He says, if you're really the son of God, you can do these things. And he's attacking him at the level of his identity. He's saying, I I want, he's trying to confuse him about who he is or he's challenging him about who he is. If you really are the son of God. Satan is is a serious enemy But he's not the only enemy we face when it comes to temptation. The temptations can come from different sources. It can come from the the way that people in church history would describe these three enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
that, that we face the temptations or challenges that the world throws our way, that there's a whole system, self-sustaining system of beliefs and behaviors that outside of God where, where this just, the world is trying to conform us, the world is trying to form us into its own image, and there's a pressure, there's an enemy there. It's not the people in the world, but it's these ideas and belief systems that God is disinvited from, right? This kind of way of the, the morality and all of these things. That's the world. And the flesh is the, the enemy within. It's the part of us that, that still struggles with sin, even though we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's the, the, the part of us that still wants to sin is still there that we battle with, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And then, of course, the devil, our enemy that we talk about. But the flesh is particularly challenging because it's, it's the enemy within, it's the, the enemy that can trip us up, can tempt us. Uh, John Owen, who wrote very profoundly about dealing with temptation and sin, uh, he wrote a book called the Mortica- On the Mortification of Sin, which means putting sin to death. And he describes this idea of our flesh and the challenge of our flesh. He says, however strong a castle may be, if a treacherous party resides inside, ready to betray at the first opportunity possible, the castle cannot be kept safe from the enemy. Traitors occupy our own hearts, ready to side with every temptation and to surrender to them all. So we have this battle that we wage between the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the enemy tempts us like he, tempts, like he tempted Jesus. But we've also got the flesh who's kind of willing to side with the enemy sometimes. And so one of our best tactics at, when, when temptation shows up is to escape, to get away from it as quickly as possible. There was a research study done about um, people's willpower by a researcher named uh, Dr. Lauren Nordgren, who was a uh, Kellogg School of Management. And he talked about in this, he, he, he is a professor at this school, and they did this research study about willpower. And so they did a series of experiments that placed college students in tempting situations to smoke, to eat junk food, or to forego studying. And the research found that we often display what's called a restraint bias. In other words, we tend to overestimate how much self-control we will have against temptation when we're not in the heat of the moment. Our restraint bias causes us to think that we can handle more temptation than we actually can. So Dr. Nordgren warned that those who are most confident about their self-control are the most likely to give in to temptation. So one example from the study. They placed people in a situation, they, they asked them beforehand, people that were smokers trying to quit smoking, things like that, they said, how confident are you in your willpower? And they would measure them, the super confident people, or the not as confident people, and then they would place them in a tempting situation, which was to watch a film that featured people smoking cigarettes. And then after that, they would follow to see what happened after them, uh, after that experiment, when it came to that temptation to smoke a cigarette. And so the group they, they found that said they had the most confidence in their ability to have self-control. Like, I'm super confident that this will not be a struggle for me. He said, those people in particular were the ones to succumb to temptation the most likely. Right? Those are the people that we, we overestimate our ability to withstand temptation. And so that's why one of the best tactics when it comes to temptation is avoid it. Get out of there. Run from it. He says, how do we deal with our deluded sense of self-control Dr. Nordgren, who's not a, he works for a secular university. We don't know where he is with faith, but he offered some biblically sound advice. He said, the key is simply to avoid any situations where vices and other weaknesses thrive, and most importantly, for individuals to keep a humble view of their willpower. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 offers this same wisdom about temptation. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We, we sang, great is thy faithfulness this morning, and this passage talks about the faithfulness of God, that even, even in the heat of temptation, God will provide a way of escape for you. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. He will open a door, an escape hatch somewhere for you to get out of that temptation. God is gracious and God is powerful even in um, these moments, right? So if we're facing a particular temptation that we're susceptible to, don't overestimate your willpower. Flee from temptation. The Bible tells us that we always have a way of escape. I was thinking about, so the temptation to, to eat more than we should, right? That I, that, that's definitely something I can identify with. It's like comfort food, right? That's a, you're feeling discouraged and you want to comfort yourself with food, right? This is a common temptation uh, that I think most of us face. And if the temptation is to eat the chips, right, that you, like I, I open the bag of chips and it's like, it's all of a sudden the chips are gone. I'm at the bottom of the bag of chips, right? Because I'm just driven to consume these chips and that's the temptation that you're facing, Man, the, the marketing geniuses tried to warn us, right? They said, you can't eat just one. They told us. It sounds like a warning, right? You can't eat just one. Um, maybe you need to not have the chips around as an example, right? Maybe kind of a low stakes example here. Flee from temptation. R- run from it. Try, try to avoid it, right? Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be tempted. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at, at Corinth, we, we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to back up a couple of chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because he talks about this specifically with sexual immorality. He says, run from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Run from temptation. Get, get some daylight between you and that temptation next time you're feeling that. Don't trust in your willpower or your ability to control yourself in, when facing temptation, but run away from temptation and towards Jesus, right? When we also look at this passage from the wilderness temptations of Jesus, we, one thing, another thing stands out, which is Jesus' spiritual practices that prepared him for this moment of temptation. He is the son of God, and certainly that gave him the power to live as he did and to impact people he, the way he did, but he also practiced his spirituality in a specific way. J- Jesus practiced um, spiritual disciplines. We, we started the year this year talking about our, our spiritual practices, prayer and Bible reading and all these kinds of things. And, and Jesus did these things consistently. And he's Jesus, the son of God. Why would Jesus need to pray? He's God, you know. He's talking to the father, but it's like he relied upon these. And we see the, the role that prayer had in his life with the father. And fasting, certainly, right? The spiritual practice, 40 days of fasting. And he leaned into his community, right? He had his disciples that he gathered around them. And, and the Bible must have had a really key role in his spiritual disciplines because of the way he responded to temptation. We see that when these temptations are presented to him, he says, it is written. In the Bible, and he just pulls them out of his mind, right? He says, this is what the word says. 
And this is the, the, the tension, right, with our temptation here is that at the root of every temptation is who are we going to submit ourselves to? Are, who are we trusting in more? Are we trusting in God or are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting in kind of this immediate gratifica- gratification thing, right? But our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual practices prepare us for temptation because they're constantly a saying no to the temptation of avoiding relying on God and saying yes to our higher desire of saying, I want to submit myself to God. I want to learn from his word. I want to seek him in prayer. I want to be at his church and, and be together to worship with my family and hear from God's word. That If we say no to the temptation to skip those disciplines, we're better prepared to say no to other temptations. James 4 verse 7 talks about this dynamic. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In particular, I love the way Jesus uses the Bible in this story. The Bible is a weapon. The Bible is a a tool that we can use in temptation. And there may be certain verses that you need to commit to memory that, that deal with particular temptations that you face. So that the next time those temptations show up, you, sh- you use those verses like a weapon. And you remember what is true and you remember what is real. And it's fascinating to me that like Jesus pulls from the same place every time. Deuteronomy. Like if you just had the book of Deuteronomy to face all your temptations, it might be challenging. Right? But Jesus, that's, that's the scriptures at his time, right? He's got, he pulls from the book of Deuteronomy and he hurls those verses at his enemy, and he wins. So the Bible is a weapon, and we should know it so we can wield it, right? That's one of the reasons why we learn from God's word is so we can face things like this. I want to close with just this thought about the significance of this moment when you think about the whole Bible. Jesus is tempted. Satan is tempting Jesus. He's in the wilderness, but there was another very key temptation that took place at the beginning of our scriptures, and it wasn't in the wilderness, it was in the garden. It was in a place of comfort, it was in a place of of beauty. And in that temptation, there was, you know, Adam and Eve, our, our ancestors, who faced the same enemy that Jesus was now facing. And our Adam and Eve fell at those temptations, and the curse of sin and death was unleashed upon the world. They faced Satan and this temptation to, you know, become gods or whatever it was that they were trying to do in that moment, not trust the true God, but instead fall to this deception. But now Jesus in the wilderness is facing the same tempter and in many ways facing the same temptations. And he is victorious. Scripture describes Jesus as the second Adam. It's one of the titles given to him. He's the one who defeats the enemy on our behalf. He reverses the curse. And we praise him and we worship him for that. And we allow him to live his life through us. Jesus defeated the enemy on our behalf. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of considering together, um, Lord, this story of, of Jesus in the wilderness and the temptations that he faced. And Lord, how he faced them in a victorious manner, Lord. And we thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us as your, your people, your family, your followers today, Lord, to be the kind of people who face temptation in a victorious way, the way Jesus did. Your son, Lord, showed us this higher way of living, that this is how, what's available to us. 
that we don't have to fall to the same sin patterns over and over again, but we can flee from temptation. We can resist the devil. We can follow the pattern that Jesus gives us here of how to deal with temptation. And Lord, we recognize at the same time that we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, Lord. And I pray for protection. I pray that you protect our people here from those attacks of the enemy. That you'd help them as they take steps towards you, Lord. That you would keep the enemy at bay and you would strengthen them. And Lord, we know that you can bring good out of bad. So even bad temptations or even bad struggles or even temptations that people have fallen to, Lord, you can bring good out of that in the sense that you strengthen us for the next battle. You show us where not to go wrong like we maybe once did. And so, Lord, grow us. And temptation is one of these things the enemy sends our way, Lord, but you can use them for good, that the saying no to temptation that strengthens us and calls us to a life of holiness and godliness. Lord, may, may you do that in our lives. May you do that in this community. And Lord, I pray for anybody here today who, who hasn't met you yet, Lord, who doesn't know you in that way where they're walking through this life with you in the way that you offer. I pray that right now, Lord, you bring them into your family. You'd welcome them in with open arms. You'd help them to see the pointlessness and the hopelessness of life outside of what you offer. That you offer hope and peace and life and joy and that this... The, the difference that you make in a life, Lord, new creation, that we can be a new creation in you, that the old has passed away, that new has come. Lord, I pray if anyone has yet to experience that grace for themselves, today would be the day that they do that. Lord, help them to even just pray a simple prayer right now. Lord, I want you in my life, turning from my sins. I'm turning towards you. I receive you as my Savior. We thank you that life and hope is offered in you. And you bring such deep meaning to our lives. Lord, your word talks about that um, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so, Lord, may we live that abundant life. May, may we live in this full sense of knowing you and the meaning and hope that you bring. Lord, we love you. We want to lift up our voices and praise you, the one who defeated our sin and death on the cross. That, that, that defeated Satan in that wilderness temptation, but then also the final um, defeat on the cross. Lord, Satan trying to use something bad to, to hurt Jesus, but you turn, this is the great reversal, that in this moment, he sealed his death warrant. And so, Lord, I praise you and I thank you for this wonderful good news and I thank you that you are the one that delivers us from our sins. You are the one that helps, that leads our life and shows us how to live. So may we live that way. May we praise you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.